Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8 will be our first of many, many verses that we look at in the Bible. This morning we'll try to move through all these as quickly as we can. We are studying Christology. What do we believe about the person, the nature of Jesus Christ? We find those beliefs from the Word of God. We're certain about what we believe because we know the Bible to be true. If God is powerful enough to create the heaven and the earth by His wisdom, by the word of His power, then certainly He can communicate truth to man. Certainly He can reveal Himself, His will, His truth to us. Certainly He is able to keep it from being corrupted and we can have confidence in what He inspired, in what He promised to preserve for us in the scriptures and so we go to the bible to find out who jesus was we find out we we go to the bible to find out what it is we are to believe about jesus christ and from our doctrinal statement there at the top of your notes on the back of your bulletin we believe the lord jesus christ to be god manifest in the flesh we studied his deity we studied his humanity virgin born both of those his deity his humanity hinge upon his virgin birth we studied last week without sin why did god become a man so he could die why did jesus christ have to be god so he could be a perfect sinless substitute a sacrificial offering so that he could die in our place for our sins in order to do that he had to be without sin himself so we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, be God, manifest the flesh, virgin born, without sin, and then this morning, and next time, and perhaps even more, crucified. Crucified. Risen and come again to receive his church, then returning to establish his kingdom. The climax of the time that Jesus Christ spent on the earth was certainly the crucifixion, the resurrection. That's the gospel, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again, it all came to a head at the cross. It all led to Calvary. And we're going to study the crucifixion of Jesus Christ this morning, uh, beginning in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8. The Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. And, and I just want to focus on this final phrase in the verse. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The crucifixion was not an accident. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not a horrible tragedy that was unplanned. The Jews did not murder Jesus. Who was it? The Romans? No, the Romans did not murder Jesus. Jesus Christ laid down his life on Calvary's cross. It was purposed from the foundation of the world. You see that Revelation 13, 8. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, here's what I believe that to refer to. Come to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2, you have to understand that biblically there is a difference between the earth 
and the world. The earth is the physical creation. The earth is the Lord's, the book of Psalms tells us. That's the plants, the grass, the trees, the mountains, the waterfalls, the lakes, the oceans, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. The earth, that is the physical creation, that belongs to God. God made it, and he owns it. The world, often in Scripture, is set against the earth, not as the physical creation, but it is a system that is in place Upon the earth, when we're talking about the world, we have moved from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. So while the earth is the Lord's, the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That's okay. I appreciate the participation, even if you're wrong. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan is the God of this world. So... The current system in place upon the earth is one where sin has dominion. When did that take place? The Garden of Eden. This world in which we live was founded then. Prior to Eden, there was a different system in place upon the earth. Man and God walked with one another in perfect harmony, in perfect fellowship, in perfect communion. But look back at Genesis chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number uh, 15, Genesis 2, 15, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's no mistaking what God said. There's no mistaking what God meant. Not only does sin bring death, and we understand that clearly from the New Testament, but in Genesis 2, when God gave Adam the one commandment that was to govern his life in the Garden of Eden, paradise, God laid out the consequences, not just that death would come, but that death would come that very day. Is that not what God said? Is God a liar? Does God tell the truth? Does God mean what he says? Does he say what he means? Okay. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We're not going to read Genesis 3. You're familiar with Genesis 3. The serpent comes, speaks to Eve, convinces her God's holding something back from her. She eats the fruit. It looks like Adam is there the entire time. He takes the fruit. He eats the fruit. Immediately their eyes are open. They know they've done wrong. They're hiding from God. The Lord God uh, confronts them with their sin. He utters the curse upon the serpent, the curse upon the woman, the curse upon the man. And the Bible says in verse number 21 of Genesis 3 that they died. It's not what it says. It's not what happened. It's what God said would happen. Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So Adam and Eve received commandment from God, don't eat the fruit. The day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. They ate the fruit. They didn't die that day. Where do you get a coat of skin? 
Where do you get a coat of skin? That was a question you can answer. An animal. How, how do you take the coat of skin from the animal? You, you kill it. Adam and Eve didn't die. Looks like a lamb died in Genesis chapter 3, right? Now let me ask you this. What did the lamb do? the lamb eat the fruit? Was the lamb commanded by God not to eat the fruit? Was the lamb disobedient? Was the lamb innocent? An innocent lamb died because man sinned against God. Here's what I believe. I believe it was that moment on that day that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the redemptive plan of God was decided upon. I believe it was that day in the Garden of Eden when man sinned that God purposed his son would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. From Genesis 3, the crucifixion was the plan. It was all going to lead to the day when God would come and fix this problem man created and he was going to have to fix it himself. Point number one, I've got all the verses at the tops, at the top and all the points at the bottom. Point number one, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was purposed in Eden. He's the lamb slain, Revelation 13, from the foundation of the world. Now, doesn't that mean that before God ever created anything, that he knew that his son would be crucified? I have a little bit of a hard time with that because he said in Genesis 2, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. If God knew they were going to sin and he knew he wasn't going to kill them, how could he make that statement and not be a liar? Think about that. Don't think too hard, but think about that. Okay, Genesis chapter 22, verse number 8. Genesis 22 and verse number 8. You're familiar with this? Great picture, great type of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross. Genesis 22, 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, God's not the one who needs to make an offering. God's not the one in search of a lamb to offer as a sacrifice. My God shall provide himself a lamb. It doesn't only mean he will be the one who will provide the lamb. It means he will be the one who will be the lamb that is provided to atone for the sin of all mankind. What are these offerings? What are these sacrifices from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4 to Genesis 22 to Exodus 12 throughout the Old Testament? It's all pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice made by God himself. And where did that take place? On this same mountain in Genesis 22, a hill in the New Testament that's called Calvary, where the Son of God was crucified. We've got to move quickly. Number one, it was purposed in Eden. Number two, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Come to Psalms 22, the book of Psalms, Psalm number 22 and verse 16. Prophesied in the Old Testament. Let me just show you one example out of dozens. Psalm 22, 16. 
David wrote this psalm. He was inspired, the words inspired by the Holy Spirit included in his scripture. He's speaking certainly of, of his own experience, but it is a messianic prophecy. It is, it is looking forward to the time when Jesus Christ would come. God is speaking through David and referring to uh, future events. In Psalm 22, look at verse number one, actually. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is that familiar? Do you recognize that statement? That is something, those are words that were uttered by Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. So verse number one is your first clue. This is prophetic. This is referring to something that would take place in the future. Look at verse number 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You know what Psalm 22 is about? It's about the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You ever read Isaiah 53? You know what it's about? It's about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and so many of the details of the death that Jesus died are prophesied hundreds of years ahead of time in the Old Testament. The fact that he would thirst the fact that none of his bones would be broken, the fact that his hands and his feet would be uh, pierced, they would offer him vinegar and gall. So many of these details that they would part his garments, that he would be crucified in the middle of two thieves, two malefactors, two criminals. So many of the details of his crucifixion were prophesied, were, were foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures. Here's what's very interesting about that. Crucifixion did not even exist. The Romans had not come to power and perfected this manner of torture and execution. But God knew what He had purposed in Eden to accomplish for the redemption of sinful mankind, to reconcile man unto Himself. He knew that His Son would come and be crucified and many of the details given us in the Old Testament. So it's purposed in Eden. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. Come to 1 Timothy 1.15. Again, we can just take one of the many, many verses on this point. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Point number 3, it was the purpose of His coming. It was the purpose of His coming. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation, this is true, you should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world. We know that. The world sometimes sort of celebrates it at Christmas time. Christ Jesus came into the world to, purpose statement, here's the reason, this is very important, to save sinners of whom I am chief. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He worked miracles. He didn't come to work miracles. He preached. He didn't come to preach. He raised the dead. He didn't come to raise the dead. He, he was born of a virgin. He didn't come just to be born of a virgin. People celebrate it and they get all the gifts. He didn't come so people could have Christmas. Why did Jesus come into the world? To save sinners 
what had to happen so sinners could be saved. He had to die. He had to take the wages of sin. He had to be crucified. It was the very reason that he came his entire life. Everything he did, everything he said, it was all leading to this one event, this this one sacrifice that he would make. It was the purpose of his coming. The disciples were so confused. The people of Israel were so confused. They had read, they were somewhat familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They knew they were awaiting a Messiah, but they thought... How many times you read that in the Gospels? They thought that when Messiah came, he would, he, would, he would free them from Roman oppression. They thought that when Messiah came, He would return Israel to its prominent place in the governments of the earth. They thought that when Messiah came, He would immediately establish His kingdom and exalt His people, and they would be the head of the nations... But the first time he came, he came as a lamb. Second time he comes, he'll come as a lion. His first coming was not about the kingdom. His first coming was about man's sin. His first coming was not to sit upon a throne. His first coming was to die upon a cross. His first coming was not to exalt Israel to a place of prominence. His first coming was to deliver us from the flames of hell. And that necessitated, that required the cross. He was going to have to be crucified. So it was purposed in Eden. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was the purpose of His coming. I apologize. I was preaching all week that was alliterated and I just couldn't help myself. Number four, it was pictured at His birth. It was pictured at His birth. What do you mean by that? Well, let's look to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. We read the announcement of Christ's birth last week in reference to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and read some events surrounding the actual birth. Luke chapter 2. going to read about the shepherds in Luke 2, the wise men in Matthew 2. They didn't both visit the manger in Bethlehem. We'll see that in Matthew. But Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8, the Bible says in, well, uh, verse number 7, they have to travel uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Caesar is taxing all the world and Mary is great with child and there's no room in the inn, but they find a manger in verse number seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Didn't say a king, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So, so who was born? Why is this such great news? There's a Savior. 
and, and, and they're supposed to go and see him. And what's going to be the sign that this baby is the Savior? I mean, there are a lot of people in Bethlehem, probably a lot of babies in Bethlehem that night. Maybe not a whole lot of births. I'm not sure. But how are they going to know this certain child? Well, number one, he's going to be in a manger. That's not typically where you find a baby. But number two, this is the sign he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, I can't confirm this. I can't be dogmatic about this, but to me, it fits the context and the rest of the New Testament. The swaddling clothes are the types of clothes in which they would embalm a dead body. Swaddling clothes are grave clothes. Swaddling clothes would be the types of things they would use or they would have to take off of Lazarus when he got out of the grave. What's, what, what's the significance? What's the sign? This baby who is the Savior is here to die. Death is at the forefront from the moment he enters into the world. There's a song, I won't sing it, I don't want to hurt your ears, but the lyrics go like this. Born to die upon Calvary. Jesus suffered my sin to atone, born to die upon Calvary. And I can't even remember the rest of the lyrics right now, so it's a good time. Good thing I didn't try to sing it. But, but that was the purpose of his existence, of his coming into the world. And it was visible, it was evident from the moment that he entered. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse number 11. Matt, another hint at this same fact. Matthew chapter 2. In verse 11, this time we're talking about the wise men. They came to Herod and said, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, who? <laughs> and has the scribes find the prophecy? Where's the Messiah to be born? Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Micah 5.2. Um, so they go there, but the star leads them not to a manger, to a house. And they find Christ there. He's a child by this point. Here it gives the order to execute all the male children under two years of age. This is probably somewhat removed from the birth. But what the wise men do, uh, verse number 11, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and they worshiped her. No, they weren't Catholic. They were Christians. Well, they weren't really Christians yet, but they, they, they did the right thing. They worshiped him. They worshiped Christ. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold. It's a good thing to give a king. Frankincense. Well, he, he was a priest. Might make some use of frankincense. But look at this. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh. What was myrrh all about? It was used in embalming. When Nicodemus begged Pilate for the body of Jesus... The Bible says he was going to wrap it and anoint it with myrrh and aloes. Again, at his birth, he's presented with something that you don't need until you die. Something connected to, associated with death. He was the only person who was born for the express purpose of dying. That's why he came. And it was evident even in these minor, seemingly insignificant details of his birth. So it was purposed in Eden. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was the purpose of his coming. It was pictured at his birth. Point number five. This one was really a stretch, but they had to be all peace. Perceived 
by Christ, perceived by Christ himself. John chapter 2, a string of verses in quick succession. John chapter 2 and verse 4. Christ is beginning his public ministry. He has been baptized by John the Baptist. His first miracle is he turned the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. That's our context in John 2 and verse number 4. Jesus saith unto her, his mom, Mary, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. She, she has gone to Jesus to ask him to do something about the fact they've run out of wine. And uh, this is how Jesus responds. Mine hour is not yet come. What hour might that be? Let's continue. John 7, verse number 30. John chapter 7 and verse number 30. Um, the, 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 the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, they quickly wearied of Jesus Christ and they are already intent upon putting him to death. John chapter 7, verse number 28. Cried Jesus in the temples he taught, you both know me and you know whence I am and I am not come myself, but he that sent me is true whom ye know not. Not only is he saying I came from God, he's saying you don't know God. And they were a little offended. Verse number 29, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him. I wonder what they wanted to do. Well, if, if you've read the Gospels before, you're well aware of what they wanted to do. They wanted to end his existence. But no man laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time. Chapter 8, verse number 20. John 8, verse 20, these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Remember the time they took him to the brow of the hill? They were just going to throw him off and end him that way, but he just like, it's like, have you ever seen it in a movie? Everybody froze, and he just walked right through the middle, like time stopped for everybody else, and here's Jesus, and he leaves. That's kind of like what happened on the brow of the hill. Why? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't his hour. What was his hour? John chapter 12, verse 23. John chapter 12, verse number 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come. Chapter 7, not yet come. Chapter 2, not yet come. Chapter 8, not yet come. Chapter 12, it's here. It's time. The hour is come, what's the hour, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Well, what do we mean by the Son of Man being glorified? Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus Christ with, was crowned with glory and honor that he might taste death. The glorification of of Jesus Christ was his being lifted up on a cross. Verse number uh, 32 makes reference to that. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came. Came I unto this hour. As he approaches the crucifixion, as he approaches the cross, as he prepares himself to be made an offering for sin, to become sin, though we knew no sin, there was something in Jesus Christ that 
that was repulsed by it. There was something in Jesus Christ that rejected. There was something in Christ that did not want to go through with it. Because that hour was the hour of his death. Now, you know what happened. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but thine be done. But the hour is very clearly identified in John chapter 12 as his death. And it's the whole reason that he came. John 13, verse number 1. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that it was hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. So not only was this the purpose of his coming, he was very aware of that fact. He knew what his hour was. He knew what would happen to him. He knew that he would be betrayed. He knew it would be for 30 pieces of silver. He knew he would be uh, beaten and buffeted. He knew they would rip out his beard. He knew they would rip open his back. He knew they would nail him to a cross. But he loved us enough and he loved his father enough to go ahead with it. Now come back to Luke chapter 2. This is interesting to think about. Luke chapter 2. My assumption is he was aware of this early on. Remember in Luke 2, the only, the only recorded instance we have of the childhood of Jesus is that time that Mary and Joseph couldn't find him for three days. Man, that would be stressful. That is, that is interesting to think about. Nevertheless, verse number... 41. What was the context? What was the setting when that happened? Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Do you know this is the very day that Jesus was crucified? It was Passover. Do you, do you understand the, the, the typology of the Passover feast, of the Passover meal, of the Passover offering? In Exodus chapter 12, the the, the last night the children of Egypt were in, the children of Israel were in Egypt. Every family had to take a lamb, and they had to kill the lamb, and they had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost. And when the Lord said, "When I see the blood, I'll I'll pass over that house," thus it's the pass over. Passover is all about the death of a lamb. It was a lamb in Exodus twelve, and it was the lamb in Exodus twelve, and it is your lamb, Exodus twelve. Jesus Christ, our Passover, First Corinthians chapter. You understand he went there every year as a child. And you understand when he went, I believe he knew that would be the day that he would die. And as, as, they, as they killed that lamb, I believe that it would come to his mind, that's why I'm here. I am that lamb. Why do I think that? Verse number 49, Mary and Joseph, they're all freaked out. Where's Jesus? They find him in the temple. Well, of course they did. Here's his explanation, verse 49. He said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Twelve years old, and he knew why he was there. Twelve years old, and he was, he was committed to accomplishing his father's will. Now, what was his father's business? It wasn't just answering the questions of the doctors and lawyers in the temple. It was giving his life as an offering on that very day. Purposed in Eden, prophesied in the Old Testament, purpose of his coming, pictured in his birth, perceived by Christ. Last point for this morning, predicted by 
Christ, predicted by Christ. He was very clear with his disciples about why he was there, what he would do, and so forth. Look at John chapter 2. we got to go real fast. We are out of time. John chapter 2, verse number 13. They didn't get it, but it wasn't Jesus' fault they didn't get it. He was very, very clear and upfront with them about what would happen, what would take place. John chapter 2 and verse 13, look what time it is, and the Jews pass over. Interesting, other places it's called the Lord's Passover, but they had kind of wrested ownership from the Lord. It belonged to them now. The Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And we're going to have to skip down to verse number 19. Jesus answered, said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. That was not a terrorist threat. That was a prediction. Verse number 20, then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple in building. So I guess we got a little ways to go on our building project. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So he said, look, tear it down and I'm going to raise it up in three days. He's talking. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. Matthew 16. Verse 21, you're, you recognize Matthew 16. Jesus asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And then he asked Peter, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, on this rock I will build my church. This follows that, Matthew 16, verse number 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And be raised again the third day. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. 21 and 22. Luke 9. 21 and 22. This is also Peter's confession of Christ. Whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said the Christ of God. He straightly charged them. Commanded them to tell no man that thing. Saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be slain, be raised the third day. A little later in the chapter is the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on top of the mountain. And he, 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 he is transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah show up. They start having a conversation. Verse 31, they appeared in glory and spake of his decease. That is a word for death. Decease. You cease to be. DC spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. I love that phrase in the Bible, don't you? The decease, which he should accomplish. You know what? One day you're going to die. It's not going to be much of an accomplishment. Right? We are going to succumb to death. Right? Death is going to have the upper hand. But Jesus Christ, his death, the only death in history, that was an accomplishment. It was the fulfillment of his purpose. And, and here he is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's talking to Moses, representative head of the law. He's talking to Elijah, representative head of the prophets. And you know what they wrote about? His death. You know what he talked about? His death. You know what? He was, he was aware of his death. You know what his death was? It was an accomplishment. Why? It was absolutely necessary for us to be saved from our sins. Let's close with Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 14. 
the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to remember. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. We show His death until He come. It helps us to keep our minds and hearts focused there. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the center of God's redemption plan. It was His plan all the way from the Garden of Eden to this time. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are you happy about today? What are you excited about today? What do you make your life about today? What do you glory in today? Cross. When was the last time you thought about it? Last time you told somebody about it. What do you tend to tell people about? God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. There's nothing that compares to it. It ought to be the focus, the center of our lives and service to God, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Jesus willing to do this for me, nothing I should not be willing to do for him. Let's close with that thought and a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this death that he died. Thank you for the Bible that gives us all the details. God, I pray that we respond properly in our hearts this truth this morning. Thank you these young men, young ladies. Pray that you bless, guide, direct, use their lives for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.